It's great to share this uh, Easter Sunday celebration with each one of you. Uh, has a special significance to me, as someone in the praise team pointed out. Uh, this is the last opportunity that I have to kind of preach an Easter message here. They were asking if I was nervous, and I said, no, I'm not nervous. I'm excited. And I want you to have a, a sense of anticipation with me as we uh, take a look at and a dimension of the Easter story that I think has perhaps a connection point with every one of us who has an ear to hear and a heart to believe. And I'm going to uh, invite you to turn in your Bible, if you brought one, or there's a pew Bible in front of you somewhere, unless you're in the front row. Sorry about that. And uh, on page 749, you're welcome to follow along. It's really the sequel to this, to the passage that was read to us uh, earlier in the service, if you were here and able to attend to that. And I just want to say to those of you that have little ones here, Jesus loved the little children and we can tolerate, you know, whatever uh, they happen to bring to the table. Uh, at the same time, um, may God help all of us not to play Gucci, Gucci, Goo with the kids in front of us and and listen to what God has to say to us, because uh, he does speak through little children, but he also speaks through his word. So I'm going to invite you first to pray with me, because I don't want to go into this on my own strength. Uh, Lord, thank you for these moments. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us understand that we're all, in your eyes, your little children. And as the... Uh, as the video pointed out well to us that, you know, in the, in the simplest ways, we get it if we have hearts to believe. And I pray, Lord, that you would give, uh, you know, give to us uh, hearts that are open to understand all that you offer to us in the risen Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> okay. A story about a couple of guys. Actually, we don't know for sure. One of them we know was a guy. His name was Cleopas. I, I'm assuming maybe the other person in the story was a guy too, but it could be that he was just walking back with a, with a friend who happened to be a woman too. So ladies, don't exempt yourself here. And here's, uh, here's Luke telling their story the way that they presented it to him, okay? This is the story of the two individuals, but Luke is putting it together for us. He says, now that same day, and I just want to say that same day is uh, the day of the resurrection when, when Christ arose. Now that same day, the two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast, and then one of them looked up. Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened here these days? 
what things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we'd hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us and that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. For it's nearly evening, the day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those that were with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how it Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. My best friend growing up, using the term loosely, uh, eventually served as best man in our wedding. And he came from a healthy, faith-based uh, family and together we experienced the joys and concerns of childhood and adolescence. Uh, I know that because we met when we were in Sunday school, about this tall. And we went through grade school, we went through high school, you know, we, uh, we played hoops together, we played tennis together, we played just about everything together, we even double dated together, the whole nine yards. We not only graduated from the same high school, but ended up going to the same college. In his sophomore years, as we sometimes say, his, his wheels fell off and his life crashed. His high school sweetheart had uh, bailed out of his life. His academic pursuits lost their luster. He went into a, a year a year-and-a-half-long depression that wasn't obvious to many, but that was eventually punctuated by being drafted into the Vietnam War, which did wonders for him. Uh, 
He was so conflicted in the midst of his training, the, the thought of combat just, you know, uh, wore on him that he finally applied for conscientious object, objector status in the midst of advanced infantry training in Fort Polk, Louisiana. A few weeks after he came home, uh, the two of us got together and we ended up talking in a car on Main Street in Geneseo, New York, which was close to where we lived, all night, or most of the night. And as I listened to him share some of the, the pain and disillusionment that he had been experiencing in his life, I realized I'd never, I'd never known anybody that was in that state before. And I found out he was dating a woman who was... Uh, sort of encouraging him to dive headlong into the drug culture. Uh, <clears throat> they were flirting with being involved. Some of you will remember the term SDS into some of the <clears throat> government protest movements. They even, if I remember correctly, had considered joint suicide. I think you get the impression. And he was wondering why he ever bought into the illusion that there was a God, or if, if there was a God, why God was AWOL in his life. Well, folks, I believe all of us have experienced a certain dimension of disillusionment along life's way, and it brings us right up to where this story begins, because we have two disciples who were disheartened on a walk back from a very disparaging experience, and they are at a starting point, if not midway through a certain delusionment that, that came with the territory. And we read, now on the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. There was no joy. You know, as we read the story, we recognize that uh, the disciples had scattered at the time of Jesus' crucifixion. They were hiding in Jerusalem. It was interesting to me that only the women had the courage to go and even check out the place that Jesus was buried. And when they came, came back to give a report of what they saw, the disciples just sort of discounted it as sort of idle conversation. Some of the disciples obviously didn't hide, they ran. And uh, although we talk about the road to Emmaus and they're walking, the truth of the matter is they were getting out of town. The interesting, and there's some very interesting parts of this story that we'll unpack in, in a smidgen. You know, as Cleopas uh, is walking along, talking to his friend, suddenly we read they... Jesus shows up, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, precisely why, we don't know. But I just want to remind you that it was their story, and obviously they were sticking to it. Now, when the stranger asked them what they'd been talking about, you know, they stood still like deer uh, looking into headlights. And there was an unmistakable irony in the story here that 
Cleopas accuses Jesus of being out of touch with what had happened, when in fact he was the only one that knew all the things that had happened and, and held the answers to their questions. When Jesus presses them, and I wondered if he could keep a straight face when he said this, what things? And then they give him a shorthanded version of, in an honest uh, way, the confusion and the disillusionment that they and their fellow friends had experienced because it was just, it was like they were in PTSD, post-traumatic distress disorder, you know, in terms of having all their hopes shattered because this Jesus who had, who had risen to in their eyes as being truly the one that God may have brought to bring redemption to their people, was dead. And there was no sign of his body. And I find it intriguing because some of you probably have read this story yourself and sort of felt like, you know, what is this baloney about God raising Jesus from the dead? And, and Jesus is taking taking presence with these two guys, even though he calls them foolish disciples, in a very gentle way. He doesn't disparage them. He simply reminds them of the fact that, that this was the way that God had indicated it would unfold. So as they continue to walk without realizing it, these two disciples were soon to experience a turning point of discovery. Because Jesus catches a teachable moment, as he so often does, and leads them through the Scriptures using the Old Testament to reveal the tradition of the suffering Messiah and carefully points out that this was the way that the Word of God said it would always be. And in a way, as one commentator that I was reading and about this text, Jesus showcases the journey that that all of us have to take, and I want you to listen to this because I think it's true for all of us, oh, to discover a well-reasoned validation for their faith from God's Word and from their own experience. God never intends for us to throw our brains out when we're embracing this remarkable event in history. Did you hear that? God never, never desires for us to stop thinking as we embrace this incredible event. So, these guys kind of understand that maybe Jesus has really something to say here, this stranger, if you will. And so they, they invite him to come into their house. And they, as we read, as they approach the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the day's almost over. You can hear them almost saying, we need to talk more about this. And so he went in upon their invitation to stay with them. And then comes kind of an interesting moment of discovery. Remember, this is their story. They're sticking to it. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. 
Now, there are two surprising dimensions to this little part of the story. Number one is that, if you notice, Jesus moves uh, unexpectedly from being the invited guest to being the host. He's the one that takes the bread and blesses it. He's the one that breaks the bread. He's the one that distributes the bread. And the second and the most surprising dynamic is as suddenly as that happens and they recognize him, he vanishes. And I got to say, if that happened to you or to me, we would be stunned sitting at a table with two after being at a table with three. All right? Now, let me just say to you that if you have struggled with this and other mysterious dimensions of this whole thing of the risen Christ, and I know some of us, I think, don't dare share our doubts about how some of this could be, don't feel alone. Been there, done that. And this week, God gave me some comfort as he posed some very interesting questions that I'll put into the third person as he spoke to me in the first. Because there's something inside of all of us. Is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Let me pose the questions to you. Could it be that God was weaning these disciples, men and women, from their dependence upon his physical presence? Some of these people had been face-to-face walking with Jesus in his earthly body. The whole idea of disengaging from that would be perplexing to all of us. Could it be in that they, God knew that they couldn't move hurriedly from walking by sight to walking by faith. And so he presented himself, you know, in a way that seemed most helpful to each individual or group. Let me go back up and just share how some of these things happened. In John gospel, he tells about how on Easter morning, Mary Magdalene went to, the, went to the tomb, and she not only found the empty tomb, but she found Jesus. Jesus met her, and he said, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. One experience. Another experience. Let's take our two friends here, you know walking down the road, didn't recognize Jesus for reasons, again, that we don't fully comprehend. Then they sit down at the table, and in the breaking of bread, they, the lights come on, they see who he is, and then he's gone. Later in, in John's gospel, there was an occasion where, and he was there. He said, we were shuddering behind locked doors in Jerusalem, all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. The locked door is no inhibitor to the risen Christ. And he says, you know, hey, see this? See this? Wounded hands, wounded side. A week later, 
A week later, because Thomas wasn't there and it was important for Jesus to solidify the group, he shows up again, and with Thomas, he says, look, come here. Put your finger here. You know, remember with Mary, it was don't look, don't touch. In Thomas's case, it was, come here. You need, you need to see this. He put, put your finger in my nail print of my hand. Put your hand into my side. Now, I just want to say that perhaps God knew what these particular group of 11 and others needed to begin to move from believing by, faith, by sight to moving to believing by faith. In fact, what he said to Thomas was, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and, and yet believed. And I think in saying that, he was saying to him, you're all going to have to make that transition. And he might easily have reminded the disciples that on the night before he was betrayed, or on the night that he was betrayed, but before the betrayal happened, he talked to them about these things, and he says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. I'm convinced that God knew that these people needed to be weaned from their experience of his, the physical presence of Jesus to the point that they could say what Paul wrote in the, to the early believers, for we live by faith, not by sight. And so it is still this day. Now, stepping back into the experience of the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, as stunned as they were by Jesus' disappearance, they were quick to reflect on what had just happened to them. And I want you to listen carefully to what they didn't say and to what they did say. What they didn't say, did, our not, did not our hearts burn within us when he broke the bread and ate with us? They didn't say that. What they did say was that our hearts burned within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us. In other words, this, this book is the treasure chest to help us put the pieces together if we go into it with the confidence that God really has something to say and that these stories aren't myths, they're realities, and that they have something to speak to each of us. Now, next step in this life-changing journey for these guys, once they experience the reality of a Christ that could appear to them and then disappear, that he was alive and was raised from the dead, they went and they needed to find a connecting point with, their, with a faith community. And so we read very simply, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. I like the, another translation that in the New Living uh, Translation says, within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem. And let me just say that if they were having an early evening breaking of the bread and a little bit of a meal, that when they went back, it was dusk into dark before they went into Jerusalem. No more fear. But in it, it, their disillusionment had been replaced by a kind of joy and hope that they never would have anticipated. 
And I think the distance gave them just enough time to kind of put their story together, if you will. But when they got there, it wasn't what they had to say that surprised anybody. It was what was said to them. Because we read when they got there, they found the 11 and those who were with them assembled together saying, it's true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And, you know, they must have been shocked to see these disciples already galvanized as a group, willing to believe that Christ had risen. And then, it wasn't that it stole their thunder, but then we read that the two told what had happened to them on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. How exciting it must have been. And at the same time, if you're listening carefully, that meant that Jesus was walking with them on the road to Emmaus, but Jesus was also you know, making himself known to Peter and some of the disciples in Jerusalem. Two places at once. The risen Christ transitioning from sight to faith. And it's, it's no wonder. I, and, and sometimes I think, you know, we get little snapshots here. That's all some of the gospel stories are, but they're enough. But snapshots, really, because John, at the end of his gospel, listen to what he wrote Jesus provides far more God-revealing signs than are written down in this book. These are written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and in the act of believing, have real, eternal life in the way that he personally revealed it to us. What struck me is Paul talked, and we, we speak these simple verses of faith for good reason, but Paul said to the early church, if you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, he, that Christ rose from the dead, you'll be saved. By that, there are two experiences there, but one of them is so critical to believe as we celebrate today that this isn't a fairy tale, folks. This is something that happened. It galvanized his group of disciples, and their life, their lives came together. You know, we sing, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. All fear is gone. These guys were hiding for fear of the authorities. They were fearful that their sins were still going to haunt them. They were fearful of death and the risen Christ erased them all because they believed. And I think it's so important for us to understand that that can happen to us. In fact, that's why I want to tell you the rest of the story about my friend. <clears throat> because in his disillusionment, Jesus came alongside of him as he was walking, actually walking with a girlfriend, they walked into a place like this, maybe a little smaller and maybe, you know, a, a different in, in its character, but a community of faith. And they had a pastor that, that told them, in spite of all of the crap that they had put themselves through, that there was a God who still loved them. There was a God, you know, who on the cross told them that there wasn't anything that they had done that would make him love them any less. And that there was a God who had demonstrated to, to the world that 
even death, you know, has been defeated. Well, they walked along for a while, you know, in that fellowship and, and learned a bit about Jesus, but then there, there came a point, uh, a turning point for them. And the turning point in this story is, can be the turning point for you, where you decide, as you're walking along with Christ, you know, you need to stay with us. You need to invite Christ to come in to your life and say, you know, would you, would you unpack some more of this? And then, in the mystery of it all, he makes himself known to you, and you realize that there is one that God sent to forgive you of your sins and to lead you into a brand new life with everything to live for and a, and a future in heaven. And it, it beats your limited perspective on what life is all about. And he and his friend made that decision that was a turning point in their life, and they became a part of a fellowship of believers and, and continued to grow in the knowledge and love of God and to serve God with their gifts. But their life wasn't, everything didn't come up roses. They had children later in life, three children. In her early 40s, his wife contracted terminal cancer. He raised three children through the teenage years by himself before God brought another partner into his life. But I knew him then in a way that was so different from the way that I knew him in his sophomore and junior years of college because he had discovered that God's grace was sufficient for all of his needs. He discovered that... He, God's strength is made perfect in his weakness, and he is still a strong believer this day. You know, that's the life-changing walk that God would have all of us experience, to discover that we don't, you know, the old song years ago, you never walk alone. Well, you got to believe that, folks, because there's a God who has made himself available to all of us at the same time and is able to reveal a strength and a hope to us that the world can't give. And we can't just sidebar him. We need to let that be a critical component, the central dimension of our life. And so today I just want to say to those in this room that are really disillusioned, my prayer, as it was for my friend, is that God will surprise you someday and just walk up alongside of you and start to help you sift it out. Because I, he's done it for me and he's done it for my friend and he can do it for you. God isn't finished, you know, in trying to build a relationship with you. And I don't know what your track record is and I don't know what kind of stupid things you've done. I only know the stupid things that I've done. But God loves you and has a great plan for your life, and you have to forget what lies behind and press on for what he beckons you to be and do. But it all, the whole thing hinges on whether you're going to give him an invitation to come in and, and sit down into your residence and say, Let's, uh, let me reveal who I am, and let me show you a new and, and better way. And if you'll invite him in, that's what Jesus said. Uh, 
in the book of Revelation. We've talked about this on numerous occasions in recent weeks. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. The issue isn't his willingness, it's your willingness. And you've got to make a decision at that point whether you're going to run your life or whether you're going to let God run your life. And everybody faces that, I'm convinced, somewhere along the journey, if not once, numerous times. But the good news is that, uh, you know, he can take your disillusionment and turn it into joy and hope, put you together with a group of people, not perfect. You know, if you're looking for a perfect church, don't come here, because when you come, it won't be perfect anymore. And I can assure you from... 33 years out of my experience that I don't bring perfection either. But to be bonded with some people who really are trying to put God at the center of their lives and to let his grace and his truth operate in your, in your, in your friendships, in your marriage, in your, in your child rearing, in your, in your business life, wherever, to let him reign is is a wonderful, wonderful gift that he offers all of us. It doesn't mean life's going to, everything's going to come up roses. But because he lives, you can face whatever life brings. And when life is over with, you don't have to be afraid to justify yourself to God because you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, who's going to be there as your defending attorney. And I tell you, folks, it's the best. And we need to understand that, uh, you know, every one of us, God hopes, would have a life-changing walk, a walk where he comes alongside of us, where we invite him in, and he helps us unpack what the journey's all about. And that's my hope for you as we share this Easter uh, time together. And may, uh, may God re-energize your hope that God can be a difference maker in your life. Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord, on this day, we, uh, we're glad to celebrate your victory over sin and death. But Lord, we need to make it our victory. You know, you did it for us. And I just pray for anyone who's in the room here that, that has been straight-arming you, uh, and still trying to go it on their own, that you would, you know, unpack at least enough here to start a conversation, to have them examine the fact that you have a word for them, and it's a good word, that you love them, that you're willing to forgive them, and, and give them a brand new start. And for those that, uh, you know, are pondering that, I pray that you'd help some of them just to open the door and say, hey, would you stay you know, there's a lot more I need to understand, and I'm not, I'm not sifting it all out real well on my, on my own. And for those that have made that invitation but are still sometimes cowering in the face of life's challenges, uh, help them to reaffirm their faith that you are with them always and to live by faith uh, and a confidence that there's nothing in life or death that that we can't handle if you're with us. And uh, thank you, Lord, for this glorious day of resurrection. Uh, help us to realize that uh, there still is more for us to all understand, that, uh, that there soon is to come uh, uh, the indwelling of your spirit 
that is the real difference maker. But as we tarry here in this Jerusalem, Lord, give us a confidence that uh, you will be faithful. And we praise you in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.